Hey, by the way, if, if there's anybody here that can help with Famagosta going back, please let me know because we have more people going back than we had coming, okay? So if you can help with Famagosta, that would be wonderful. That would be great. Um, Karen's not here? Okay, that's good. Um, you know, Karen loves me. Um, she loves me, and there's a lot of reasons that she loves me. I mean, I could talk about it for a long time. Um, there's so many reasons. I mean, innumerable reasons. It's kind of like, like Paul and Sarah, right? Kind of like you guys, right? I mean, Sarah, you couldn't, count, you couldn't count all the reasons, right? Okay, yeah, she couldn't count them. Susan, you couldn't count them, right? Okay, Rosie, all you girls, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. There's one reason in particular that she, uh, she really loves me because I love chick flicks, okay? So how many of you guys, how many of you, how many of you guys like chick flicks? Anybody want to admit to it? I have, I have nobody willing to admit to it. Okay, Paul, Paul's down on that one. <clears throat> hey, what can I say? I like a good love story. I just do. I, I, like, I like a good love story. I, I just, that's... And my favorite romantic scene in a movie is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Do you know this? Anybody know this movie? The one with Kevin Costner? And you can tell that Kevin loves Lady Marion and Lady Marion loves Robin. And loves Robin, you can tell. But, they, but they're, they're playing hard to get, you know. And he gets to the point, he, and he asks Lady Marion, he says, he says uh, you need to get word to your cousin, King Richard, to let him know about the treachery and treason of, you know who, the Sheriff of Nottingham. And Lady Marion says, well, this would be a, a, dangerous, a, a dangerous thing to do. There are spies everywhere. And Robin says to her, Will you do it for your king? Does anybody know what she says? Boom! See, he's a romant. He's a romantic. She goes, you know, she she looks real deep into his eyes. You know that that, that whole Hollywood look thing. It's kind of like Eduardo does does sometimes, right? <laughs> so and so. And so she gives him that look, you know, and she goes, no. And like, like Paul says, she goes, but I'll do it for you. And she kisses him and she runs off, you know. And I love that scene. I do. I, I, I don't apologize for it. I love, I love a good romance. And the thing about it with, with her is, you know, this is a, this is a risk-taking love, right? And she's going to do it for him because she loves him. I love that scene. A couple years ago, I read a, a pretty good book. Uh, it's called The Sacred Romance by John Eldridge and Brent Curtis. How many of you have read this book? The Sacred Romance. I recommend it to you. I don't agree with everything in the book, but it's a pretty good book. And uh, uh, they tell us that they, they, their assertion in this book is that romance resonates in the human heart. There's a reason that romance resonates in the human heart. Right? God made us that way. You know, Hollywood knows that romance resonates in the human heart. That's why almost every movie made will have some element of romance in it, right? Hollywood knows this. Hollywood's pretty stupid, but it knows this. It knows this. And uh, Eldridge and Curtis talk about this, that the, the human heart has an appetite for romance. And then they, then they quantify romance. And I want you to see if this is not true in your own heart. And I remember when I read this, when I read these words, I thought, man, that's right. They said, every human heart hungers for these three things. Intimacy, 
beauty and adventure. Is that not true? Is that not true for you? This is how they define romance. Intimacy, beauty, and adventure. Oh, guess what? All those three things are only and ultimately found in Jesus Christ. Intimacy, beauty, and adventure. Eldridge and Curtis say it like this. Above all else, the Christian life is a love affair of the heart. Do I have any amens? That's what it is. It cannot be lived primarily as a set of principles, correct doctrine or ethics. It cannot be managed with steps and programs. It cannot be lived exclusively as a moral code leading to righteousness. It is by the heart that God is known. I think if you're a Christian tonight, you understand that truth. In Luke chapter 10, you may remember a lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you know what the, the Lord Jesus said? He said to the man, He said, Well, what's the greatest, what's the greatest commandment? Does anybody remember? I know you, you guys, most of you guys know. What is the greatest commandment? To be religious and know your doctrine. Now, what is it? It's a sacred romance. That's what it is. It's a sacred romance. Love the Lord, as John said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. When Jesus was asked, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, you must love God. This is the sacred romance. This is, the, this is what that, that, that book that uh, Eldridge and Curtis wrote is about. God has loved us. God has called us to love Him like this. He made us for this. He didn't make us to be religious. You know, I make that distinction all the time. Dead religion is not Christianity. <laughs> it's not. True Christianity is about loving God. It's about being in relationship with the living God. He made us, he made us like this. Not to do dispassionate religion, but to love Him. That's what the whole of this life is about. To love Him. It's what the, the abundant life that Jesus talks about is about. Right? Intimacy, beauty, and adventure. And only in Jesus Christ, ultimately, will you find those three things. Only in Jesus Christ. As you are in right relationship to Him. I, I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. C.S. Lewis says that this, this desire that the human heart has for these three things, for this, this romance, this sacred romance, the human heart, he says it's the incommunicable and unappeasable want. Did you get that? Incommunicable and unappeasable want. He's saying basically that the human heart knows it wants this. It just can't really ever articulate it. You guys, I think you know what I'm talking about. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's incommunicable. I can't describe it. But there's this desire down deep in my heart. And then he says it's unappeasable. What does that mean? It means it's unyielding. It's unquenchable. Okay? It's ravenous. I love how John Piper says it. He says the human heart, the human heart is a desire factory. Our human heart is full of desire. It always will be this way. For billion eternities... We are desire factories. God made us to desire. And you know what He made us to, to desire, don't you? To desire Him. 
man seeks to fill that eternal place that God put in his heart with a, one, a, a thousand and one things. What does, he, what does Ecclesiastes 3.11 say? God says, I've put eternity in the heart of man. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know that nothing else can fill you up. You know, even human romance, right? You know, in Hollywood, like I said, they're pretty stupid. And they, they try to idealize human, human love and they try to even idolize human love. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Human love's not going to fill your heart. Even if you have God's mate, even if this is the perfect man or woman for you, human love will not fill your heart. It will not. Only God can fill that place that He put in your heart, which is eternal. God says, I have put eternity in the heart of man. And no temporal thing can fill it up. No temporal thing. And men and women, they try to fill it up with career, or with power, or with money, status, possessions, sex, ego, pleasure, status. I've already said that. Drugs, pornography, luxury, hobbies, affairs, fame, even marriage. People try to fill their lives up with marriage. They try to fill their lives up with children, friends. That's not going to fill up your heart. And I love how, how it says in Pilgrim's Progress, in Vanity Fair, everything was for sale to fill up the heart of man. But you remember the last thing on the list? I loved it. It says, fashionable religion. <laughs> you know that fashionable religion is not going to fill up your heart, right? You guys know this, right? And man, the, the modern church is full of fashionable religion. But that's not going to fill you up. It's knowing God. It's loving God. It's being in on the sacred romance. I trust that you've learned that, lie, that, that lesson in your life. Only the Creator God can fill you up. Only the Creator God. Only being in on the sacred romance can fill up that incommunicable and unappeasable want. I asked Debbie if she could say that in Italian. She said she could. That's kind of hard to say. It's kind of hard to say. Only Jesus Christ can fill up your infinite appetite for beauty, intimacy, and adventure. God made us for a sacred romance. And that's what biblical Christianity looks like. That's what it looks like. I want to make one more comment and then I'll get to the text. What does Jesus say about those who quote-unquote love Him lukewarmly? What does Jesus say about that? Does He have anything to say about lukewarm affections? He hates it. It has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. Lukewarm affections for God has, it's the antithesis of biblical Christianity. What does the Lord God say to His people in Isaiah 29? He says, This people honor Me with their lips, but what? They've removed their hearts from Me. And God hates that. It's an insult to Him. He's the greatest lover in the cosmos, and it's an insult to Him to come to Him with lukewarm affections. And God hates it. He tells us several times throughout the Bible that He hates it. Heartless, passionless, dutiful, lukewarm Christianity is not Christianity at all. This is the message of the Bible. Eldridge and Curtis are right. Above all else, the Christian life is a love affair. It is a love affair. And I, lay, I know that was an extensive introduction. I laid all that groundwork because I want you to understand 
I want you to understand, you cannot do what God is going to command you to do tonight. You can't do it unless you're loving Him. Unless you're in on the sacred romance. Being in on the sacred romance will enable you to do what He's going to command you to do tonight. If you don't know Him, if you don't love Him, if you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, you have no hope of doing what He commands you to do tonight. Absolutely no hope. A merely religious person cannot do this. Can't do it. They can't even really conceive of it. They can parrot it. They can say that's good doctrine. They can amen it. But they don't have a clue how to do it. You have to be in relationship with the, with the Lord Jesus to be able to do what He commands us to do. So John tells us again today, we saw it a couple of months ago when, when we covered, uh, I think it was back in John chapter 2. We already hit one sermon on this in John. And he talked about that we must love the brethren. And he's going to say to us again uh, tonight, and I'm going to pull every verse from, from 1 John that has anything to do with loving the brethren, I'm going to pull it into this sermon, okay? There's quite a bit said. Fifty times the word love is used in this little book, this five-chapter book, 50 times. 50 times. So I, I thought it just seemed, it seemed wise to me to take all that John says about loving the brethren and pulling it up into one sermon, and that's what I'm going to do tonight, okay? Because John writes in a spiral. He, he, he hits his main point, and then he goes on to something else. He comes back to his main point. Then he comes back to and he revisits his main point. This is how he writes. So he keeps talking about loving the brethren. <clears throat> The night before the cross, Jesus washed the, the disciples' feet and uh, he, he dismissed Judas and then he, said, he turned and he said to him, he turned and said, he said to him, I have a new commandment for you. Does anybody know what the new commandment is? That you would love the brethren even as I have loved you. Why is this a new commandment? We know what the Old Testament law said. The Old Testament law said you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. This is a whole lot different than that. This is infinitely above that. This is you should love the brethren. You should love your fellow believers like I love you. This is infinitely above loving your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something else. He says, I'm going to give the world permission to judge the reality of your Christianity. This is exactly what he says. He says, by this, by the fact that you love the brethren, by this the world will know you belong to me. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, can the world look at your life and tell that, that, that you're a Christian just by the, the, the fact that you're loving the body, that you're loving the brethren? Jesus says the world will know you're a Christian. The world will know it. The world will know it. Because you love the brethren. You love the brethren. Jesus said, You're to love them as I have loved you everlastingly and unconditionally and selflessly and sacrificially. And John's sitting in that upper room and he hears this and he never forgets it. And when the Holy Spirit directs John to write 1 John, <laughs> it's most of the book. We know what 1 John is. I've told you several times. 1 John is our book of assurance. We're supposed to, as a Christian, we're supposed to be able to open 1 John. We're supposed to look into it. And if we're a Christian, we see our reflection coming back at us. That's what we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like 1 John. And you know his two main points in, in uh, 1 John are that a real Christian obeys 
And a real Christian loves the brethren. This is really the whole book. This is really the whole book in two points. Look here with me uh, at 1 John chapter 3. I'm just going to pull out verse 14. Look, look what it says. We know that we have passed out of death and into life. Why do we know that? Someone tell me. Why do we know? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Jesus says, and, and the Bible tells us here, that we will know we're a Christian by the fact that we love the brethren. We'll know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And Jesus also said, as I mentioned to you earlier, the world will know that you're a Christian because they'll see you loving the brothers. They'll see you loving the body. So this is a big deal for us. If we claim to be Christians tonight, this is a huge deal for us. I love how the message paraphrases Jesus' words in John 13. It says, This is how everyone will recognize you are mine. By the fact that you love the body. Okay, so my goal tonight is to simply present this truth to you from 1 John. I'm going to pull in all of the verses from chapter 3, 4, and 5 that support this, this truth. So I hope you'll stay with me. I hope you'll stick with me as we look at this. Some of you may recall, a month or so ago, we left off at 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. And you heard, you heard Paul read the text. But look at this. This is very important. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. They're obvious. They're clearly seen. This is a crystal clear proposition. What does the Word of God say? Anyone who does not practice righteousness, anyone who does not obey the Word of God, is not of God. What else does it say? Nor the one who does not love his brother. There's the whole book in one verse. That's the whole book of 1 John. If you don't practice righteousness, you're not of God. If you don't love the brethren, you're not of God. It's the whole book right there. Right there in that one verse. Look at verse, look at verse 11 there. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should what? Love one another. We should love one another. And then John goes into a discussion about Cain and Abel. Now why did Cain uh, uh, slay his brother? Because his deeds were righteous. And what, is, what does Jesus tell us in John 15? The world's going to love you. They're going to like you a lot. They're going to appreciate all your good works. What does Jesus say in John 15? The world hated me. Oh, and if you live like me, the world's going to hate you too. What do we know from the Bible? The Bible says that we are pilgrims, we are aliens, and we are exiles on the earth. Friends, I say it to you all the time, you're passing through, and you're passing through quickly. And listen, it's not so much that God commands us to love the brethren and to meet together and, and not to uh, uh, forsake the assembling together of one another as the body of Christ. It's not so much that He commands it. Listen, friend, I need it. I need to come and be with you. I do. Because out in the world, the world is hostile. If we're really walking like Christ, we will find hostility in the world. How did Paul say it to Timothy? If we seek to follow Jesus, we will be persecuted. We will be persecuted. So they're in the true church, and we know there's a lot of false churches out there. There's a lot of churches out there that call themselves Christians, but they don't believe this. They don't live this. They don't love this. They're no longer, they're no longer a Christian body. Okay? They're no longer a Christian body. But in a true church, there's a camaraderie because we love one another. 
We need one another. We need that fellowship. Look at verses 16 and 18. We know love by this. How is it that we know love? That He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So how do we know what love looks like? Jesus showed us, right? So what is this saying to us? Are we to lay down our lives for one another? Is that what, is that what we're supposed to do? Well, let me ask you, how many of you think you're going to be martyred for the brethren? Living in you know, nice, cozy, comfortable, safe, and secure Europe. And some of you from different places. Some of the places some of you live, it may not be safe to say you're a Christian. But most of us in here, we're not going to be martyred. But what is Jesus saying to us? How is this real to us? How is this real to us? You guys already know the answer, I bet. You're to lay your life down. You're to die to self in love and in service to the body. You lay your life down. You, you, you die to self as you love and as you serve the body. So what does that look like? Look at verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and he closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's what it looks like. You're loving your, you love the brethren by serving them and, and teaching them and consoling them and comforting them and nurturing them. In a thousand different ways, you lay your life down for the brethren. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. I have a good friend that goes to the North Church. His name is Scott Moore. and Man, he just, he's leaving and it's breaking my heart. He's got four of the most beautiful little girls you'll ever see. And uh, the church just seemed a little empty today because the little girls weren't running around. But uh, he has something he likes to say. He says it to me a lot. He says, you know, talk is cheap. I think just about anybody would agree with that. Talk is cheap. Do you know what God is saying here about real Christians? He says, my children, my children don't just talk about it. My children do it. My children do love. It's not a noun with my children. It's a verb. My children do love. Talk is cheap. And, and if all we do is sit in here and, and fellowship and love one another, that's pretty cheap. That's pretty easy. But God says, my children don't love like that. Only in word. They love in deed. Verse 18, in deed and in truth. It's like we talked about Maybe I think it was last November. We, we quantified the love of Jesus. It's, it's a roll up your sleeves and go to work kind of love. It's a courageous love. It's a costly love. It's an expensive love. And the way I love to say it is it's a blood, sweat, and tears kind of love. Let me ask you, brethren, are you loving the body like that? That's what God is calling you to. That's what God is calling you to. That's what He's calling me to. And it only flows out of that sacred romance. If you're not in the sacred romance, you're clueless. You don't know how to do this. But if you're loving God, you're in that relationship with Christ, you're knowing Him and loving Him, He will teach you how to love the body as He loves the body. Our catchphrase for this, uh, this uh, Exposition of 1 John has been name-brand Christianity. Friends, this is name-brand Christianity. Everything else is false. Everything else is a lie. Here it is. We love, we love the brethren as Jesus has, has loved the brethren. 
and we obey our God. And I want to make this clear. Not perfectly. First John doesn't teach perfection. But it's, it's, it's the driving motivation of our heart to obey the Lord. So for the balance of the message, I just want to, I'm just going to pull in all of the verses, all of the verses that, that, that buttress this truth uh, through the balance of John uh, chapter 3, 4, and 5. won't take very long. I want you to remember, the ground of loving like this is knowing God. He is the origin of it. And I want, you, I want you to hear it in the Bible. I want you to hear what the Bible says. Where does this kind of love come from? It only comes from God. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. Look there with me if you would. Hope you'll follow along with me as I look at these last four or five verses. Verse 23 of chapter 3. And this is, and this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. In my view, it's almost as if one is tantamount to the other. If we're truly believing, then we'll truly be loving. It's almost like there's a synonymous aspect here. If we're truly believing that Jesus Christ is, is our Lord and our God, we will truly be loving. Do you see it? Do you see it there in the verse? And again, our ground is what God is doing. It's what He's done in our hearts. Look, here, look with me if you would at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from where? Where do we get this love from? It's from God. We can't love like this, as I said at the outset. We can't begin to love as God is commanding us to love. Unless we're in that sacred romance. Beloved, this love comes from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I told the morning congregation that you know humans can love in kind of a maudlin, sentimental, syrupy, kind of insincere way. You know, Adam mentioned to it how fickle human love can be. You know, one minute it's there, one minute they love me, the next minute they don't and they're gone. But God's love is completely alien to that. God's love is eternal and it's infinite. And the only way we can learn to really love completely, as God calls us to love, is is if we're in on that sacred romance. Look at verse 8, chapter 4. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. If you're not loving the brethren, you're not of God. There it is. That's it. I don't know how John could make it any simpler for us. Look at, at chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Verse 12. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. Do you see it? Do you see that you have to be in on the sacred romance? There has to be this abiding. God in you. You in God. It's the only way you can obey this command. It's the only way you can truly love the brethren. God abides in us and His love is what? Oh, if we do what He says, it's perfected in us. As we obey and as we love the brethren, it's perfected in us. I love that. That's powerful. Look at verse 16. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides. There it is again. Only out of the sacred romance flows this kind of love. The one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. Look at verse 19 to 21. 
We love because He first loved us. Again, God is the origin. God is the root. God is the source. Verse 20, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21, And this commandment we have from Him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. How many ways can John say it? Let me ask you, friend, are you convinced? Are you convinced and will you live it? Will you live it? Don't claim to be a Christian if you're not ready to love the brethren. Don't even claim it. You'll bring dishonor. You'll bring dishonor to the Gospel and to the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, the world will know your mind because you love each other sacrificially. Just like I've loved you. Man, this is a powerful and a lofty admonition and exhortation. I got so convicted sitting behind my desk this week studying this text. Maybe you guys are loving perfectly like you should, but I've got a lot to learn about loving as, as Jesus has called me to love. But friends, you know what God knows? God knows when you love like this, He'll fill your heart up. God knows what's going to make you happy. And when you give yourself and when you love sacrificially, God will fill your heart up. God will make your heart explode. If you'll obey in this, if you'll love like He's called you to love. You know, God says to say that you're a Christian and you not love the brethren, this is an oxymoron. It's just false Christianity. It's false. It's false. Let me finish up here. Let me finish up. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There it is again. And whoever loves the Father, he, he naturally loves the child born of Him. There it is. It's tantamount. Believing is tantamount to loving. There it is. Right there. There's a, it's almost synonymous. Truly believing will, will mean truly loving the body. And verse 2 of chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Friends, if you're not loving the brethren as God has called you to love the brethren, I, I want to say this to you and I want you to hear me. You're not loving God as you've been called to love God. Because the one will flow out of the other. Only to the proportion and to the degree that your relationship with God is healthy will your relationship to the body be healthy. That's what the Word of God says. One is tantamount to the other. So I want to give you a challenge. It's a challenge I've given to you before. It's a challenge that I could probably give you every week. And, and it wouldn't be too often. But I want to challenge you to a, a random act of love in the body of Christ. Okay? A random act of love in the body of Christ. Maybe something expensive. Something courageous. Something selfless. Something sacrificial. Something that maybe takes a little courage. Something that takes maybe a little uh, personal investment on your part but just a, a radical act of love in the body. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you tonight. You know, I, I was telling Karen this morning, we were talking about this. You know, we have all these spiritual disciplines, right? We, we read the Bible. We study the Bible. We, we meditate on the Bible. We, we memorize the Bible. We, we worship together. We give our money. We 
uh, we fast, we pray, we have all of these disciplines. But what I want to encourage you to do is to make sure you're incorporating loving the brethren uh, as one of your disciplines. Listen, friend, you know this is the truth. Some people are easier to love than others. Sometimes we need to be intentional about this. Sometimes we have to just write it down on our calendar and I'm going to love them today. I don't feel it so much. But I know it will please the Father. And He'll fill my heart up. And it will build up the body. Listen, friends, when we love like this, it pleases the Father. And it builds up. It builds up the body. So, listen, be, be, uh, I want you to expend energy on this. I want you to be creative about this. Be deliberate about this. I told the morning congregation, be sneaky if you have to, man. Sneak up on yourself if you have to. If it takes that to love the body, love the body. Love the body. Jesus says, My children will love like I have loved. Let me ask you, brother and sister, you go home tonight and you ask the Lord to reveal to you how you need to improve loving the body. I promise you, I have experience in this. He's going to show you some ways. He's shown me some ways this week. And He'll show you some ways. And I'm going to close with that great passage over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You guys know the great love chapter. Paul says, he says, man, if I, if I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, he says, if I know all prophecy and I, have all, I know all mysteries, I have all knowledge, I have enough faith to move a mountain, but I don't love, what does Paul say? It's all for naught. Paul says it means nothing. You know, I, 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 wouldn't you love to have the faith to make a mountain move? Paul says, it's no good unless you know how to love the body. This is a strong, strong exhortation for us, brothers and sisters. Listen to what he says. He says, if I deliver my body to be burned, but I don't love, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And I'm just going to finish these last four verses as we close. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Nor, uh, excuse me, does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. The love that flows out of the sacred romance. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Paul says that the love that flows out of that sacred romance, the love that God is teaching you by the Spirit, he says that kind of love never fails. And I want to challenge you. In the coming weeks and months and years, I want you to be proactive in practicing love in the body. That's our challenge. That's our challenge. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Beautiful Father, we thank You for this great text. Lord, we know we can't do this. We can't do this apart from You. Apart from what You're doing in us. Apart from the fact that You're changing us. You're teaching us how to love like this. We praise You, great God. Forgive us where we have uh, not been diligent in this way. You are calling us to love the brethren in a sacrificial way. Lord God, may we be a church that knows how to do that. 
May we truly love one another. May we truly give ourselves to one another. May we abandon ourselves to this kind of love. And yes, sometimes it's hard to love in this body that's so fluid, this body that turns over about every three years. It's hard. And, and you fall in love and people leave. And, but we, we leave that with You, Lord. We do pray, Lord God, that You would teach us how to love each other in a way that pleases You and gives glory to You so that the world sees and the world is amazed at how these real Christians love one another. Hey, these Christians are different. They really do love one another. They really do meet each other's needs. They really do care for one another. They really do uh, counsel and console and comfort. And, and, and they really do. Lord God, we want to be those kind of people. That's the kind of church we want to be. We praise You for this great and high and lofty exhortation. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Teach us how to love like this. We pray all this for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Amen.